You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. It is Wednesday, August the 24th, overcast but warm here in TW11. As I said on yesterday's show, the best race this weekend is the Travis Stakes, which takes place at Saratoga, bringing forward the 1-2-3 from the Kentucky Derby, the 1-2 from the Preakness, plus the Haskell winner, Cyberknife. And that'll be very much the focus of a conversation I'll be having with NBC's Matt Bernier later in the show, when he'll also be answering the questions, for those of you with a a more um, significant interest in European racing, whether Mishrif and Highfield Princess could win the Breeders' Cup Classic and the Breeders' Cup Turf Sprint, respectively, with a view to the likely opposition there. But as far as this country is concerned, the UK and Ireland and France, you rather felt last week at York was something of a gateway to the autumn ahead. And with that in mind, in a few moments, I'll be speaking at length and in some depth to trainer Rafe Beckett, who had a brilliant York with three winners and is now preparing his Irish Derby winner Westover for a tilt at the arc. He talks about all of that and he talks about the 2023 fixture list, which is due to be published this afternoon, Wednesday afternoon, and we'll be commenting on this with representatives from the British Horse Racing Authority on tomorrow's podcast. But as we look deep toward the autumn, David Yates, a Westover on the comeback trail and one or two horses not here and Baid's targets a little bit fluid at present. How how full is the middle distance cupboard in Europe, do you think? It's a very different cupboard to the one that one would have anticipated if we wound the clock back a few weeks and a couple of months, Nick, isn't it really? If we, if we imagined what the arc betting would be, for example, as we left Epsom, we would have had Desert Crown, Emily Upjohn, uh, subsequently Westover, of course, after his win in the Irish Derby. Tuesday was in there too. Uh, we also had Adea and Hurricane Lane, who I think both of whom um, at that point we were we were waiting to come back. Those are all names that either won't be there or will come there with questions to answer. Desert Crown, we we know, won't be there. Um, Emily Upjohn, of course, needs to bounce back from that disappointing run in the King George uh, the Six and Queen Elizabeth Stakes at Ascot, ditto Westover. Tuesday, disappointed in the Irish Derby, but was back to form uh, with a fine second on the back of a bit of a break uh, behind Alpinista in the Yorkshire Oaks. So in short, Dave, instead of trying to scratch around here to try and find the star three-year-olds or horses who at either distance, Irish champion or in the in the arc, are likely to lay down any sort of a challenge to Baid, oughtn't we simply to be thinking, well, this is the year of the Japanese with, with title holder coming over and, and maybe Dojusas as well? It would be complicated for those two if we did get a very week, wet weekend in, in Paris on the 1st and 2nd of October because they've both those horses have raced exclusively really on 
quick ground. Um, Onesto, a horse who wouldn't have been prominent in the list, is is there now on the back of that last to first win in the Grand Prix de Paris. And also dear old Pile Driver, who did win the King George, uh, but again, wouldn't have been uppermost in the list a little while ago. Luxembourg, well, he didn't convince, convince everybody with his return in the Royal Whip Stakes at the Curra, although he did win. And I think by fairly common consensus, he had more up his sleeve than the, the official margin of victory might have us believe. Uh, Vidani, of course, has emerged as one of the stars of the middle distance uh, bracket this summer, but his connections are fairly adamant that he's a 10 furlong horse. But in talking of all the horses who have emerged from nowhere, top of that list, Nick, has to be Alpinista, who, of course, has now won five Group 1 races on the spin, three of those in Germany, one in France, and now, of course, the Yorkshire Oaks on the Knaves Mile last week. But again with her, as Samark Prescott noted in today's trade paper, you need to go back to 1937 and the second of Corridas, arc victories to find the last five-year-old mare who was triumphant in Europe's middle distance championship. And of course, just Bailly just sits there in a big cloud above above the whole lot of them. And, and really, uh, opposition is is academic because he's so much better th- than all these horses. And we just wait to see which which route he, he's going to take. Strength or paucity of the opposition that lie in wait is really... It's, it's not a primary consideration for them, is it? It's a secondary consideration because the horse has beaten everything thus far and that's how they expect that pattern to continue. William Haggis said, of course, uh, all along and, and when he clarified his position on the NLD last week, the ARC is the, is the third favourite among the options. Just for my own benefit, as much as for anything else, the, the options that William Haggis has stated for Baid are... The cha- this is a quote. The champion, Irish champion and champion Arc de Triomphe, those are the three options. It's not Irish champion and Arc. I would say the Arc is the outsider of the three. So what he said there is that it's either Leopardstown and Ascot as one option, Ascot as another option, the third option, the Arc, and that's the, the least likely of the three. But yeah, in, in, in answer to your question, that they're not bothered about who turns up are they they're just trying to find the uh, the right races for the horse and obviously the fact that he's he's now 10 races unbeaten that's something that they want to preserve until he finishes his his career in the autumn right i take sure odds leopardstown and ascot done thanks very much uh what about the arc then if he's not going to run in the arc and what about the the possibility of a renaissance for westover rafe beckett is a man who could enjoy an autumn of mellow fruitfulness, given some of the stars in his yard and given how well a lot of them performed at York last week. I'll talk about them to him in a moment, as well as a, the the standard question about racing politics. But we, we began, first of all, with, with Westover and how he's training after his disappointing run in the King George. He's, had, he's been on a break since Ascot and uh, we'll just start gradually winding him up from now on. He looks very well. I'm very happy with him and he's very happy in himself. We'll see how that develops. What did you make of of Asker in the round? Basically, he was remembering Ireland. 
He's remembering that he's running the Irish Derby and everything stemmed from that. However he'd been ridden, do you think he'd have run badly uh, given given the sort of mental space he was in that day? Is that what you're saying? I, I don't think he would have run to his best however he was ridden. I don't think it helped them. You know, there were, there looked to be a moment down at Swindley Bottom when he was just going to get into a rhythm and uh, Broom came upside him and uh, that was the end of that really. You've you've gone down the Ark route rather than the St Ledger route, even though the the latter is looking pretty thin, and you'd be a heavy favourite for it. What's the thinking behind that? Um, his owners are very keen for him to go to uh, Longchamp, so that's where we're going. If we get him in the right shape and he turns up in the right frame of mind on the day, then um, he has a shot, no doubt about that. He'll go there without a prep. Well, again, what's the thinking behind that? I don't think he'll need, he needs one. I mean, I think he showed at, at Epsom he came off, what is it, six six or seven weeks between the Sandown trial and um, and Epsom. He obviously won first time first time up this year. We'll take him away somewhere for a, in the run-up. That should put us spot on. If we need to go away twice, then we'll do that. We we don't have to go round the round the same boy about the jockeys again, do we? Do we not just we assume that Colin Keane rides him now, do we? Um, I <laughs> I don't know at this stage, <laughs> Nick. Uh, I don't know at this stage. This that could, discussion's not been had yet. This could be the, this could be the least the least enjoyable soap opera for you in your entire training career, I would think. Yeah, they're both ridden Group Ones in France, both him and Rob Hornby. So okay. either way. Either way. Either way, you're happy. Um, you, you had a very good week last week at, uh, at York. Um, perhaps we start with the, the Judmont Philly Hascoy. Uh, that was a remarkable performance under, under Ryan Moore. How, how did she take what must have been a complete culture shock for her? Yeah, better than I thought she would, Nick. Um, uh, you know, as, as, uh, as Ryan alluded to afterwards, the, the, first, the only time she'd been on grass was walking across the track. It was a it was an enormous effort. Um, having looked like it was all going wrong on the top of the straight, she, you know, for slow gallop to get there, I thought it was a huge effort, and she appears to have come out of the race very well. So that's great. Um, you mentioned the Park Hill stakes uh, afterwards. There wouldn't be any danger you might slide her into the St Ledger, would there? At this stage, we're going to the Park Hill. But um, we'll see how it develops nearer the time. So I'm not shooting a million miles away from the target asking that. I thought I might be asking a daft question, but I maybe I'm not. We'll see how it goes, Nick. I suppose it's just a question of if, if the race really thinned out. Yeah, I think, it, you know, and, and how, how, whether we felt she was ready for it or not, that would be as, as much as, uh, 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 as a bigger factor as anything else. You know, I, I remember getting really... We supplemented some simple verse for the uh, for the for the when she won the St Ledger and uh, <laughs> David Evers told the told the trade paper uh, on the Friday before the Monday we had to supplement that uh, that she was going to be. I remember being livid with him at the time, you know, because you know it's, it's just not wise to preempt these things. So we'll see how we feel nearer the time. Yeah, I'm sure I interviewed you after Simple Verse won the race at, oh God, where would it have been? Goodwood, wasn't it? Did you win the Lily Langtree at Goodwood? 
and the, and and it got it sort of sort of started rolling around in conversation. I went, oh, don't be ridiculous! You can't run that in the St. Ledger. <laughs> yeah, I remember. Uh... I remember Mike Dillon coming off the stand at Goodwood and uh, that day and, and grabbing my, grabbing my lapel and telling me she had to be, she had to she had to be supplemented. But you know when Labrook sponsored the race. But you know we'll we'll see we'll 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 see we'll see how things go. Okay, State Occasion's clearly a very talented filly. Um, do you think even better of her now? I thought I thought uh, Ammon Zoe was going to be difficult to beat. So I thought it was a terrific effort. Yeah. Terrific effort. We'll, um, she'll probably go to the John Musker at uh, Yarmouth in, in the middle of next month. The listed fillies are over 10 there. And I gave her an entry for the um, Cordell Laverack at, uh, at Goran the same week, which is nine and a half of Group 3. So we'll, we'll furlongs, nine and a half furlongs of Group 3, and we'll see how that goes. Uh, and Kin Ross has become a, has become a bit of a, 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 bit of a yard favourite, I should think. He's, he's racking up a, a pretty decent CV, but that was a very big pot at York that he that he won last week. Um, do you believe it can be a, a stepping stone to greater things this season, or has he done the job effectively? Obviously, I'd really like him to win a Group One, not just for for for, for myself or, or, and Mark Chan, but for uh, for Julian Sarah Rich from Watson who bred him, and we have his brother here. Um, apart from anything else, his two year old. Half brother by Sea the Moon is a nice horse called Sea Houses, who's yet to make his debut. I thought we got too far back in the pre, pre in the pre foray last year, um, so that's the obvious place for him. But he could go to Haydock next weekend, particularly if they got a bit of rain. Um, uh, you know, he's run well twice over six on the, uh, the straight six at Ascot and ran into traffic both times. So I. I I uh, I wouldn't mind going to Haydock at all if it fitted. Mm. Um, before you go, I must ask you about the publication of the 2023 fixture list, which is uh, due this afternoon, and I, I think we're going to be speaking to Richard Wayman on the podcast tomorrow. Uh, what are you expecting? Nothing. No change. Nick, that's what... Uh... You won't be surprised. No one will be surprised at that because the BHA chief executive voted against the, their own proposal to to reduce it by three hundred races for next year. That happened two months ago, so I'm not expecting any change. And the racecourses voted against that proposal as well. We're going to stay in the hole that we're already in, and it's in my view it's going to get deeper. Do you not see any shaft of light from this relatively warm industry reception that the that the Savile report got? Yeah, I mean, I think Peter's plan is extremely well thought out and very sound. But the various vested, I, I fear that the various in, vested interests will try and block parts of it because that's what they believe suits them. The RCA are, uh, are an immovable object when it comes to progress. I think everybody who's been involved with them in the last five years would agree with that sentiment. Well, we will, we will see what comes out tomorrow. Um, Rafe, thanks so much for your time. Pleasure. All the best, Nick. 
Rafe Beckett there. Always engaging, always thoughtful, always interesting, and always um, willing with his time. David Yates, with your red top tabloid hat on, would you headline that interview? A, Beckett still undecided over Westover Arc Jockey. B, Beckett refuses to rule out promising Philly Haskoy for Ledger. Or C, Beckett says racing in whole and only getting deeper. Right, for the red top readers, we tend not to pedal too hard on industry stuff because they want to talk about horses rather than who's putting uh, what on the table for and, and how much of it uh, for the returns for racehorse owners, understandably. Um, it, it's definitely B. I think it was rather a... Um, it's quite a long headline for the I'm not mirror. Make, I'm, not, might, I'm, I'm might, not making a good headline writer, am we, I? We might just have to give it a bit of a trim, and, and I'm terrible too uh, at those. Um, but, yeah, Hasco is very interesting. We were talking about... Hang the, on, hang on. Wouldn't we, it be... Wouldn't it be... Wouldn't it be... Koi in Massive Capitals dash. Oi! Koi, oi, yes. Anyway, it's not your department, and thankfully it's not mine. Um, but... She would make an interesting runner in in that race. Just looking at the um, the markets now, headed by New London, the odds-on favourite, of course, uh, a winner at Glorious Goodwood and beat Dover Legend, who then, of course, uh, won the Great Voltager at York. He's the favourite. Uh, his stablemate, Secret State, who was beaten by Dover Legend at York, is third in at 8-1, and they're split by um, Eldar Elderoff of the Crisfords, who uh, was beaten stepping back in trip uh, in uh, Paris last time. You've also got Zechariah, who has been um, confirmed for the final classic by Martin Mead this morning. So it's even though we've got an odds-on favourite, wouldn't Haskoy be a really fascinating runner in that race? Uh, she looked very promising when she scored by seven furlongs at Wolverhampton on her day. She took a, a a big step up to score at York last week. That was in uh, the listed Sir Henry Cecil Galtres stakes. So the way that she she got up that uh, on that occasion to beat Time Lock suggests that the extra distance of the ledger would certainly be in her favour. She looks the sort of horse who is has barely scratched beneath the surface. She's obviously been a bit of a late starter. She didn't make her debut until the 29th of July. So you would imagine there's a still a, a, a very big upside from Haskoy, who's a well-related filly, and she looks a really resolute galloper. And whilst the whilst the industry stuff might not play with, with mirror readers, uh, Dave, it certainly does with listeners to this podcast, and particularly when it's put in such stark terms. Um, uh, Rafe Beckett, rather glass half empty as regards getting some sort of industry consensus on the Savile plan for 2024. Never mind his expectation, I think, as all of ours is, that the fixture list next year will remain largely unchanged. Yeah, I, that's certainly my reading of it. I mean, I think the 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 difficulty with regard to change in the short term is that no one has yet agreed on what those changes should be. Uh, in June, of course, the BHA ended up voting against its own proposal uh, for the, the, the colour 300 races. Um, there's the uh, the strategy review in the autumn. And of course, 
there's the Savile Plan, uh, which was launched or, or yes, which was launched during uh, Glorious Goodwood Week. And so even the Savile Plan, that, that as you've just said, it doesn't we're not going to we're not going to see what those changes would be until 2024. So unfortunately, we're in a position at the moment, I think it's a bit like the, the turning circle of a cruise liner, where I think most of us think that that change needs to come pretty quickly because we've had this problem particularly of small fields for a long time now and it's it's an issue that needs addressing very much sooner rather than later but of course as things stand nothing certainly nothing definite is even on the on the table to be um to be debated or or voted on if you like so it it, it I, I would have thought that when the when the fixture list is is published tomorrow, that we'll be looking at very, very, very minor changes because thus far there's nothing there's nothing concrete to chew over. And clearly, the 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 issue of the jockey is one that will never be really really fully resolved. No headline A. Um, it'd be interesting to see who would ride Westover at Longchamp on October the second. That uh, the the fallout from Westover's run in the King George at Ascot immediately in the press room afterwards was very interesting. I, I was I was apt to write that I felt Colin Keane had had sort of had given Westover an unnecessarily complicated ride in that I think he got involved in in skirmishes early on that that were unnecessary and that that essentially that he had led with his chin and then that chin uh ended up with a with a fist on it as they turned for home but i talked about it to colleagues in the in the press room at aska and to to a man and woman they were uh, unanimous in that they thought that this wasn't a, a move that was of colin Keane's over uh, own volition mere that Westover had been too keen and that he couldn't hold the horse. But what it did raise inevitably was uh, the the right comment, you know, come back, Rob Hornby, all is forgiven. Not that there was an awful lot to forgive in the first place, but um, the, the reason that Colin King was on the horse at the Carroll was because he'd ridden loads of winners there. The, the Ascot thing was a, a bit more, uh, a bit dodgy wasn't it because it, Colin Keane has yet to ride a winner at Ascot well if we went to Longchamp then uh, I think we both have to say that uh, Rob Hornby and Colin Keane are not exactly household names in French racing maybe they'll call for Soumillon if he doesn't ride Vidani because that's a 10 furlong horse and won't go uh, to the Arc pigs might fly of course Time to cram the American court into the British pint pot here. Uh, Matt Bernier is with me from NBC. And before we talk about this week's best race in the world, which is the Travers Stakes, Matt, we might need to talk about what you said after the coaching club American Oaks was the best horse of the classic generation in the United States. You got pilloried on social media. But as usual, you were proven right when Nest trained by Todd Pletcher for Mike Rapoli, stormed home once again at Saratoga, this time in the Alabama Stakes last weekend. Was she even better last weekend than she had been before? And where would you go with her if she were yours? Well, I, I think the, the problem is she really gains nothing by taking on the boys. She's already going to be the three-year-old Philly champion in the United States, barring something 
just completely unfounded happening. Um, I think you just kind of stay the course. You go to the distaff. You're going to be one of the favorites in there. But what I've seen from her, she just continues to get better and better. And I think the most appetizing thing about her is distance is not an issue. If anything, longer is even better. So that's part of the reason I think that the the idea or the allure of, oh, well, you could take on the boys in the, the classic, this, that, and the other. I don't think you really have anything to gain by that this year. Take care of the distaff division. I think she right now should be the favorite in that spot. She's run races. They're already faster than any of the three-year-old boys at this point. And we've talked about it. It's a pretty good crop of three-year-old Colts and Geldings. Uh, maybe someone will jump up and do something that they haven't yet done in Saturday's Travers. But in my opinion, right now, the best three-year-old in the United States is Nest. Three-year-old Colts. We're going to get a clearer idea of an opaque picture thus far when the 1-2-3 in the Kentucky Derby, Rich Strike Epicenter Zandon, Preakness winner early voting, and the Haskell Stakes winner Cyberknife make up six of the eight strong field in the in the Travers. This is a, a hell of a race, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. There's no one else, maybe aside from Mo Donegal or you know Nest, who we just spoke about, that you could want in this race that isn't here. Um, it, it's a really interesting race, both from what these horses have accomplished and also the potential pace scenario. You know, early voting is a horse that wants to go, but I, frankly, I thought he was very disappointing in the Jim Dandy, the local prep for this race. If he doesn't go, or even if he does go, you would assume Epicenter is going to be taking up that chase. But it's worth noting his, his most recent races, he's been a little bit lackluster out of the gate, breaks a little bit on the tardy side. And next thing you know, he's either last or second last or third last. So, That'll be a fascinating dynamic to take a look at. You brought up Rich Strike. You know, was he a one-hit wonder, or is there reason to believe he can get back to that form from the first Saturday in May? You know, I don't want to hold the Belmont stakes against him. His running style was never going to be conducive to the mile and a half at Belmont Park. It just hey. horses don't rally from off of it. Hey Matt, but, what what about these what about these works I'm hearing Rich Strike's been posting? I, I've been reading some some great stuff in the in the press about how he's been scorching the, the track in the morning. Are you buying this or, or, or are you ignoring it? Yeah, I, look, I, I think it's a positive. You don't ever want to have a horse coming into a big race, you know, running clunkers in the morning. Um, I will say some folks have laid it out that he was doing the same thing prior to the Belmont and he didn't necessarily perform, but I still believe that's more circumstantial than anything. Uh, I don't know that he was ever going to run well at, at the Belmont simply because horses don't, typically have success rallying from off the pace going a mile and a half mile and a quarter at saratoga if for some reason this pace does heat up i'm not sitting here saying he's going to win the race but i think it would be a little bit rash to just assume that this horse can't pick his feet up i think he could put it this way i wouldn't be surprised if he hit the board at a decent price all right who do you think will win the race I will say one of the more intriguing runners in here is sort of the third of the three chad browns artorius he's lightly raced and he's on the improve but I'm going to go with a horse that I think is still getting disrespected, despite the fact that a victory on Saturday, he is the three-year-old champion at this point, and that's Cyberknife for Brad Cox and Florent Giroux. His victory in the Haskell, I think, showed a great deal. He's a horse that mentally is still a, a bit of a work in progress. But for him to be able to be versatile enough and athletic enough for Florent Giroux to, to put him into different positions and make multiple moves throughout a race, I think speaks volumes about his talent level. I don't have any question about the mile and a quarter. It'll be his second time going this far. The derby draw a line through it. He was too close to the pace. I think they recognize he's a horse that wants to come from mid-pack, have a target, and at the top of the lane, be in position to strike. I think if he runs back to that Haskell, he's right there. 
And to be honest, I, I am expecting him to move forward. And if he does, I think he's going to be a handful. I'm going to ask you four more questions. Two of them pertain to this weekend at Saratoga and two to the Breeders' Cup. The first concerns Jack Christopher, who's reappearing in the Allen Jerkins. Again, he's trained by the In The News, Chad Brown. This was the race in which last year we saw Jackie's Warrior get the better of the returning life is good. Are we expecting an exhibition from Jack Christopher back in, in distance this time? You know, he's taken on some good horses. I, I believe Conagher is a potential runner who's a nice one-turn type. Uh, there are a handful of others that could certainly make it, but Jack Christopher, let's keep in mind, he ran very well in the Haskell, just the distance got to him. This is what he is, seven-eighths, one-turn mile, even a two-turn mile. I'm expecting to see him back in the winner's circle next Saturday. I want to ask you about Broom. He runs in the $750,000 Sword Dancer. He was second in the Breeders' Cup. He's a Group 1 winner for Aidan O'Brien. Ryan Moore is going over to ride him. Now, there's nothing of any consequence in Europe this weekend, so I wouldn't read too much into that. But what sort of opposition has he got to defeat? Well, I I hate to say this, but sort of the usual suspects. It's it's a group of horses that have taken turns beating one another. They're all capable. They can run big races from time to time, but they're not particularly consistent. So I think this is as good an opportunity as any for a horse like Broom to come over here. Frankly, I I would have expected more European participation, but uh, it is. It's the usual suspects. It's the Gufos, the Channel Makers, the Rock Emperors, the, the Tribuvans. You know, Adamo, I suppose, maybe is the freshest face of them all for Chad Brown, but... You know, uh, put it this way, if Broom runs his best, I think he wins. And two questions as regards the Breeders' Cup. First of all, Mishriff. We wanted him to run in the Classic last year when it was obvious John Gosden didn't want any piece of going to Del Mar. He was saying then he fancied Keeneland. They're now talking about possibly the Classic for him this time, having jumped out of the gate much better when behind the brilliant Baid in the Judmont International. Worth a go, do you think, or wasting his time? Oof, uh, you know, I, it's such a tough call because we know on his best day what he's capable of. The concern is he's been a bit in and out for, for a little while now. On his best day, certainly he can run with some of the best that we have in the States, but you also have to keep in mind, it looks like we have a very, very good group for the Classic this year, whether it is flight line, whether it's Country Grammar, who's already defeated him on this, one of these three-year-olds that we've talked about, or someone else who could step up in a big way as an older horse. I, I suppose if you're not convinced he can get a mile and a half on the turf at Keeneland, that's one thing. But, boy, it's a salty group of older horses and even the three-year-olds on dirt this year. I guess if you're going to take a shot, maybe that's where you go. But I would have rather seen it last year than this year. It looks like the first three home in last week's Nunthorpe win and you're in the five furlong turf sprint are all headed for different races at uh, at Keeneland. The first and third for the turf sprint. The second, the juvenile, obviously going for the, the juvenile sprint. You don't know what's going to turn up in that yet. But could Highfield Princess be a factor in the turf sprint on that evidence? And what would she have to beat outside Golden Pal? Well, Golden Pal is sort of the the obvious one, and, and we talked about it a little bit before we started recording. It seems like he's, he's getting a little – he's not quite as sharp out of the gate as he has been in the past, and that would be a major alarm for me, despite the fact that he did win at Saratoga in his most recent start. I don't know that we're dealing with the same Golden Pal we have seen in the past few years. Uh, if you're looking at another American that could potentially be a major player, Christoph Clement has a three-year-old named Big Invasion who he's really been spectacular throughout his entire career. He may get one more start before the turf sprint, but he's he's really never been challenged. And the beautiful thing about him is he can go to the front. He can rally from well off of it. He can do a little bit of everything. I think if you're looking for uh, an alternative to Golden Pal in the States anyway, I think it might be Big Invasion. 
NBC's Matt Bernier there with a look back at all the excellent action last weekend and a look ahead to the Travers Stakes. The Goffs UK yearling sale is well underway. There have been some notable pinhook results already. Uh, Charlotte Greenway has been along to find out a little more. So I'm joined by Violet Hesketh and Mimi Wadden, who this afternoon sold their Curoshio Colt, who they bought for €38,000 in February as a short yearling. Sold him today for £120,000. Violet, what was it that you liked about him back in February? So um, we, as soon as he came out of the stable, we just loved the way he moved. He had such a great action, a good shape to him, and seemed to just have a very good temperament. And he was really our pick of the sale, so it was the one we really didn't want to go home without. Mimi, the result today, you must, obviously must be delighted. Did it surprise you at all? Um, we, we knew he was popular. Every, everyone who saw him, you could tell, they sort of, their eyes lit up and he, he, was, you know, he was such a lovely horse. Every time he came out of his stable, he showed incredibly well. He's such a good moving horse. Um, but, you know, our expectations were realistic. Um, so, yeah, we were, we were pleasantly surprised, but given his popularity, we sort of knew we had a good chance of making sort of 70 to 80, but 120 was definitely above expectation and we're absolutely thrilled. And the market that you'd seen throughout the day, did that give you confidence? Yeah, absolutely. It was a, there was a slightly steady start to the sale, but it really kicked off after 20 lots or so. So we were quietly confident, but I mean, or hopeful, I should say, um, but, you know, over the moon. Um, Violet, what was it that made you choose Goss to send him to? Why was he the right horse for this? So obviously we bought him at Goss in February and he just really stood out to us as a perfect horse sent to Doncaster. He looked sharp and quick, out of a pivotal mare by a quick stallion. So he was just a, a, an obvious horse to send here and thankfully it's worked out. What have you got for the rest of the sale? So um, we've got one more horse selling tomorrow, a colt by Phoenix of Spain, who there again looks... Um, quick a nice really nice tie by the stallion um i've heard very good things about the phoenix of spain so we're, we're, we're delighted with this horse he's a good moving sharp type that we're hopeful about and mimi i know you've got a big draft heading to tats for book one and book two book three what in particular are you looking forward to or any sort of surprise sires that have caught your eye from what you've got at home um, really excited about the October sales. We've got an incredibly strong draft, probably the best we've had to date. Um, we have an, a very nice New Bay Colt, again out of Pivotal Mare, who we're very excited about. Um, a lovely Wooten Bassett filly, um, and a really, really nice Night of Thunder Colt. Those are all in book one. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. And then book two, we have an outstanding acclamation Colt that we bought at the full sale. Um, and some of them are actually a really nice showcasing filly. I mean, just there's too many to sort of name. We're just looking forward to it. And, yeah, it's a great, great way to start the, the yearling season Love for us. Continue. All right, thanks to Charlotte there with news from the sales. David Yates is still with me and has a selection for you for this Wednesday afternoon. We go to the final race at Musselburgh, the five o'clock, and it's number nine, Bicep. This horse has done most of his racing, all of his racing, over five and six furlongs until last time when he scored over course and distance. And I think he can follow up under a six-pound penalty here. We've talked about red-top tabloid headlines all day. So five o'clock, Musselburgh, number nine, Bicep, to flex his muscles. Beautifully done. Uh, David, thank you very much indeed. Uh, I will see you again tomorrow. That was Wednesday, August the 24th. Bye-bye.
You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary.